So where, where are you coming from right now, Chris? I am in uh, Brooklyn, New York. All right. Yeah. I think our last couple of guests were from New York. Who is the last guest? Charles. Charles Bromesco. Oh, oh yeah. The movie writer. Yeah. I like that guy. Mm-hmm. I follow him. Yeah. He's really good on Twitter too. Yeah. He's very good at it. I love when he, when he reviews something that, you know, he just knows he's going to get fucking hammered for. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> That's always special. Like that Sound of Freedom movie that just came out or whatever. So, Oh, yeah. That pedophile hunting movie or whatever. He's just got fucking hammered for that, I think. so. Yeah, I shared that yeah. with Tony. I saw some screenshots of just pages of pages of QAnon people being like, oh, so you <laughs> love child sex rings then, huh? <laughs> That's so awesome, dude. Jesus. You know, it's like you can't win with these people. They're psychopaths, but so are people who are just like mad about female Ghostbusters. You know what I mean? Or like, yeah. you know what I mean? Or like Marvel people or shit like that. You know, the Sound of Freedom people have been some of my favorite though because they they're simultaneously thrilled to have like this hit movie that's raking in all this cash at the box office, but then they also won't like you know miss an opportunity to uh, to feel victimized by the fact that they think like the theater chains are conspiring to censor it and prevent it from being shown and, and either no one is yeah. either no one is allowed to see the movie or it's making a zillion dollars you got to you, you really should pick one but they they get to have both you got to pick one or like the ones i've seen where people are like complaining like oh the ac was off and the lights were on i was like that just sounds like going to a fucking amc dude <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know like they probably haven't been to a movie theater in like 10 years <laughs> yeah. you're right so, like, you show up yeah like yeah, like like God's Dead One came out like fucking eight years ago or whatever. That's the last time they went. So like, <laughs> yeah, it's like fucking Christ, dude. Yeah, you know. So I see these things and I'm like, yeah, that sounds li- literally like going to a Regal or a fucking Cinemark mm-hmm. or you know what yeah, I mean? it's, it's or like any com- of these big chains. It's like complaining that the ice cream machine is broken at McDonald's or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, just like, yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to get my vanilla with fucking hot fudge syrup. Of course I'm yeah. not. Yeah. And, they ha- and they have a bunch of kids working there. What's going on? Yeah, they're being trafficked. <laughs> like, why is the popcorn more expensive than it was 10 years ago the last time I was at a movie? This is a conspiracy. This must be some George Soros shit. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. So let's keep all that because that sounds like fucking we're just going to get murdered on the internet. We, we could use the views, honestly, even if we do attract these psychos. We'll just make sure we only give them Seth's address. So no worries. Yeah. I can get murdered. It'll be viral. Uh, <laughs> We could use the exposure of a hundred people calling us pedophiles. <laughs> yes. I know who killed Seth. And welcome to Unwatchables, the film podcast where we take the good, we take the bad, we take them both, and there we have some fucked up shit. I'm Mark Batavio. I'm Seth Troyer. And today we are joined by author and visual artist Christopher Norris to help us figure out exactly what happened to Lindsay Lohan, the former child star and teen idol from films like The Parent Trap, Freaky Friday, and Mean Girls, seemed on her way to working with legendary directors like Robert Altman. Instead, her career took some strange turns before fizzling out of Hollywood altogether. We are here to talk about two of the most unwatchable examples, 2007's horror fiasco, I Know Who Killed Me, and Paul Schrader's 2013 erotic thriller, The Canyons. (laughs) 
get mean, girls. Let's get mean. So here to help us figure out <laughs> who killed who is Christopher Norris. You might know him as Steak Mountain, the visual artist behind album covers for bands like Against Me and Orchid, among many others, or from fronting the 90s hardcore band Combat Wounded Veteran. He's also a novelist, starting with his experimental horror novel Hunchback 88, and his new book, The Holy Day, is out October 11th on Rose Books. It is described as a novel about a former teen detective Going on vacation to die. I wanted to read that plot synopsis. Oh, sorry. You can do it and we can dub it in later. Um, okay. <laughs> that's that's all the information I have on this book is that line. And that's really enough yeah. to get me interested. I think I would really love your book. I'm, I'm really looking forward to tracking it down. Hunchback has uh, just got a new distributor uh, called Asterism Books. And they've taken on the whole entire Inside the Castle uh catalog so it's pretty it's it's pretty available these days but yeah um like you said i have a new book coming out the holy day on rose books um and it is a new press started by author chelsea hodson who she's an author in her own right she's just a genius and um she was smart enough to decide to start an imprint a press a small press of her own uh first book out is going to be jeff rickley's um Someone who isn't me. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Jeff, but Jeff was is in the band Thursday. He's the vocalist for the band Thursday, and oh. his book comes out next Whoa. week on July twenty fifth. Um, it's very good. Everybody should visit rosebooks.co and order his, and then pre order mine because why not? Actually, mine's out not on the eleventh, but it's actually on the out on the tenth of October. Oh, damn it! Who does our it's research right. around here? No, no, it's all good. It's one day. <laughs> um, <laughs> who cares um but uh yeah and like you said it's a it's a novel about a, a former teen detective going on vacation to die i really like nancy drew um if uh, i always say that if i'd ever ever got a chance to make a movie for a major studio i just try to pick the one who has the rights to nancy drew and make a good nancy drew movie for once um so it's about it's not a Nancy Drew novel, obviously, but it's that idea of a former teen detective, you know, who gets called up for like one last case, but she's now in her like mid fifties to go look for a missing niece. And well, it doesn't go well for her. Um, but that's all I'll tell you because maybe it's pretty simple as that. Maybe it's not, I don't know, but I, I think it's really good. And I, you'll, you'll never, ever fucking hear me say that about anything I do. So hopefully it really is yeah all right <laughs> no it's it yeah just to focus on the podcast through like i don't know maybe you, you don't read or something you're just into like fucked up movies and stuff like it just to alert you there is such a like revolution of like fucked up experimental publishing houses like uh like what you're a part of and hunchback 88 like uh Derek McCormick, all these people right now, and uh, like all this, like what it seems to me to be like kind of post Dennis Cooper kind of thing. Oh, like, he's this, like, the he's our grandfather for sure. The punk punk of literature, you know, like p the punk rock of literature is like really, really happening. But even more than that, it's like it's like really, really intense stuff, and I I just been loving it the last like five years or so. Yeah, we're definitely in like a very interesting moment for for that kind of. Uh let's just say non-traditional free form writing, you know? Um, 
So yeah, amphetamine sulfate, uh, apocalypse party, uh, uh, 1111 press now with Rose books and, uh, inside the castle. Yeah. There's a lot of cool shit happening. There's a lot of cool writers. I mean, let's be honest, there's a lot of junk, but that happens in any kind of wave of enthusiasm. Sometimes it doesn't even matter if it's junk. It's just exciting that there's people writing and doing and fucking around and trying things out. And that's, that's cool to me. I, most of the time I don't feel like it needs to be good. Well, and do I understand, and we can cut this out. This is a spoiler or some or something, but is there a, some sort of reference to Lindsay Lohan in this book? There's not a reference to Lindsay Lohan in this book, but um, I Know Who Killed Me is a very important influence on The Holy Day. Um, okay. I have like 21 movies that I, I I recently posted about, like that are like massive influences on the book. Because like I, you know, this is like one of those things. I'm not a huge reader. I like books, I read, but movies are what I love the most. And that's what I spend my time on. If I could uh, watch four movies rather than spend a day reading, I'll watch four movies. You know, there are authors that have influenced me and there are books that I'm going to post about that are hugely influential on me as a writer, but also on the holy day. But movies are my thing. It's uh, so I know killed me is just, there's something about it is, you know, just she's not referenced directly but just i i used it you know this is a, it's it was influential on me there's just you know i didn't crib anything from i know who killed me but it it's a was a had a put a mat you know it kicked a dent in me in 2007 just because of how odd it is but we'll get to that you know actually first up since that's where we're at right so yeah that's a good transition <laughs> then into yeah. this uh and you also wanted to do it because you agree with me that i think Lindsay lohan should front a hardcore band yeah I think. of course you can you imagine what her like in between song banter would be like it'd be so sick. oh god <laughs> with that angry. raspy ass voice dude oh, oh she'd yeah be so mad you know and me she'd be like oh this next one you losers i want you to bosh you know what i mean it'd be so awesome <laughs> Let's fucking tear that pit up. All right. Well, that kind of helps answer the question too about you know why we're even doing this episode because I I was a little skeptical when Seth brought up this idea. It is mainly just because that I had Mark. Yeah, always. And uh, I guess I just just was making sure that okay, was our um is this going to be a you know podcast in 2023 that is going to be you know kind of punching down backwards to this, you know, girl whose career kind of cratered at a certain point with all of the addiction issues and the tabloid culture and kind of that early 2000s, like Britney Spears kind of way where everyone was making fun of her. And I just wanted to make sure we were coming from a, a place of, you know, genuine curiosity and appreciation, which it sounds, Chris, that that is where you're coming from, at least when it comes to this movie. I love both of these movies. I am not looking to fucking put a boot print on either of these movies movies faces i love both of these movies so i i'm a fan i'm a fan you know yeah i mean that was a big fear with this episode too which was this like i yeah we do not want to be like oh this this dumb drunk girl you know that is not at all where this is coming from like i think it is just like it's coming from a place of just like i am very interested in just weird intersections and weird choices and like the weird places some actors find themselves uh in like bizarre projects and i think it's like to lindsay's credit that lindsay was doing these sort of kind of out there ideas when 
even when her career was kind of like in a odd place, you know, it was not like the safest bets. These are not the safest bets at all. And they were like, you know, <laughs> it showed in the end a bit financially for those who were involved. But I don't know. It's I, I think a lot of it is to her credit. Yeah. I mean, listen, I know who killed me is she's really fucking good in it. All right. So to me, she's not a bad actress. And when she, it's even such a, it's such a subtle thing, but when she's just Aubrey, the normal girl, cause I guess whoever's going to listen to this, just fucking spoiler alert. You know what I mean? Because you know, we're talking oh, about yeah, the movie. We, so it's fine. Watch this shit before you listen to this. Um, but when she switches to Dakota, that subtle, it's, a, it's like a tacky version of a bad girl, but it actually plays and she's energetic and she's aggressive and uh and she's trying to figure out what the fuck is going on i mean it's a it's a great mystery now it sure it gets the basic conceit is very argento-esque where you're just like oh so there's like a a a, a twin stigmata you know like the yeah. idea that like you know that like if her twin loses a limb she loses a limb via necrosis you know like yeah <laughs> which in 2007 you would go to ask.com by the way to find out yeah. information on yes. Twin Stigmata. Oh my God, that was one of my favorite scenes where we're watching Lindsay Lohan on ask.com so looking good. up, what was it exactly? It was like unexplained bleeding wounds on ask.com. Yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Just yeah. like that could be a lovely meme. I don't know. Yeah. Absolutely. And then she got some like YouTube video of just some fucking weird guy smoking a cigarette being like, the mysteries of the mind, you know? Like, <laughs> yes. Just like your 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 racist uncle shows up to post this fucking weird like mystery of the mind TV show um, on YouTube or something. And it is like again like an amazing thing, and that you can pinpoint here. It's very easy to come down on her with either of these movies, like when they're sure. at their weirdest and strangest and most. But like quite often, it's just like you can see her doing well when she's given like good stuff. And you've seen it yeah. in other movies, right? Like, absolutely, she does amazing work in Mean Girls. And here, like, she's trying to make a scene where she has a robotic hand work, uh, yeah. you know. And that is yeah. not like that's not as easy as just like a regular back and forth at a coffee shop scene, you know. Or absolutely. she's trying to make and later in the canyons make some very ludicrous dialogue, you know. Um, well, that's is, not her fault. So exactly. That's, exactly. That's, no, no, no. That's <laughs> yeah, that's fucking Brett's fault. So we know who to blame for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Should we but, uh, get into? Yeah. Uh, so for for anyone who's yeah. listening and doesn't know, I'll just do a real a brief summary here where uh, I, I I'll probably get all the, the two people's names mixed up a lot. But <laughs> this is, you know, basically uh, it's we kind of have trappings of a serial killer movie. We it's kind of a psychological erotic thriller. And it's a tall tale. Yeah. And basically, Lindsay Lohan is a, I guess, a high school student who gets kidnapped by a serial killer, uh, just very broad strokes here, and returns to her family claiming that she's not her, that she is actually somebody else who just looks like her, but nobody believes her. And she kind of starts to unravel things that I mean, we've already kind of spoiled it, and we spoil everything on this podcast, but it kind of comes up that she is the twin sister, the secret twin sister of this girl. So we do have her playing two different roles, although we don't get a lot of the initial Lindsay Lohan. Uh, she has glasses, so we know that she's kind of a teacher's pet. 
Yeah, it's alluded to that she's like a virgin or something. Yeah, there's a great scene where um she's dissecting a worm with uh in her in her class, and that's the moment her that boyfriend. her kind of boyfriend decides to try groping her because that's a very romantic time. Kids are always making out on dissection day when in your high school biology class. It was a and beautiful time. It's true. Yeah. It's true. And she writes she writes uh, short stories about how she feels like she's half a person or imagining herself as somebody else. And it's uh, not a throwaway aspect of the plot at all. Yeah. If you um, think this might be significant, it, it is. <laughs> it is. Yeah. There's nothing, there's nothing subtle about any right. clue in this movie. So, and that's fine. You know, it makes it more enjoyable. And just for some context here, this was, uh, this was just a year after she did Robert Altman's final film, a Prairie Home Companion. Uh, she was in another movie that year called Bobby, which I haven't seen. I don't think it's very highly regarded, but it's like an ensemble drama about uh, Robert Kennedy that has like Martin Sheen and Anthony Hopkins and William H. Macy in it. And so she was picking these independent films and working with some legendary directors. And it was the next year that she did I Know Who Killed Me along with this with Chapter 27, which honestly is another movie we could have picked to talk about with this the jared leto yeah. mark david chapman movie where oh he right. like yeah. he gained right. a ton of weight for it and yeah. then everyone hated the movie and uh oh. but this was around the time that also there was she had a lot of bad publicity as she this movie georgia rule with jane fonda that's was just a a big mess with as far as the tabloids reporting on it and the studio head some letter was leaked from him talking about how unprofessional she was and always showing up late and or not at all to you know set because of her drug problems and i think there was a real sense of everyone piling on her over i know who killed me especially that the you know the movie bombed it was panned but people were going as far as saying this is one of the worst movies ever made it you know won all these razzies it actually she tied for worst actress with herself for for (laughs) Uh, chapter 27. The Razzies are so stupid. I oh, hate the Razzies. I, I, so I'm totally... I fucking hate them. But it is, yeah, yeah it, it's interesting because she's clearly looking for that next step, like, because she has, like, a quite a career up to that point where it is, like, she is a child star, which is, like, the classic thing with, like, she's it got had the parent trap. She's a borderline freak with how she, good she is as, like, a child star in that, like, doing those double roles or everything. Uh, and then... There's like crossover to like sort of more like early teens with Freaky Friday does a good job with that. And like, which again, is like no small feat going further into the teen market with Mean Girls, which is like really good. I think she does a great job in Mean Girls. Uh, And she's obviously like now, okay, can I keep going? Can I keep pushing like and breaking the mold of like, you don't, if I can not stay a child star here. Um, And it looked like she was like trying real hard, like, Making some bold choices. Yeah, and then she got hit with, like, fucking Hollywood mid-2000s. You know what I mean? So, which is, like, a lot of people are going off the rails. Britney's going off the rails, and everybody's... Yeah, Paris Hilton. Paris those, Hilton. Yeah, like, there's that era yeah. of just, of just like, of people just, you know, fucking driving fast cars with no brakes, you know? And it's a very common Hollywood pop culture thing. I actually feel like it happens... It feels like it happens less now. Um mm. And if it does I think happen, the pile on maybe is a little less, you know, there's not always, yeah. it's not as cool for yeah. all the late night hosts to make fun of them every night because people take it a little more seriously. And right. well, th- we've come a long way with mental health 
and right. addiction mm-hmm. and just fucking you know emotional trauma and how people yeah, talk about it women, and understand yeah, all that kind yeah, of stuff. yeah exactly so it's a totally different ball game but more importantly the news cycle doesn't hold on to things anymore anyways so if you're Lindsay lohan now and you're fucking up that's yesterday's news by fucking yesterday <laughs> you know what i mean like it just doesn't have any momentum anymore whereas now because of the internet and because there's a million fucking idiots out there who we have to pay attention to and uh which is you know of all ages it's not even just young people it's like these fucking uh you know real housewife people or fucking vanderpump people or you know whatever but i think that that set the mold for how i think that era especially because it feels like the last of a of a certain kind of Hollywood of people just being fucking just terrible drunks, drug addicts, crazy people being fucking late to set, just being like assholes, like movie stars are supposed to be. I think that that like fortified a new business in Hollywood for people to just have like the world's greatest teams now surrounding them that they just have like, you know, a fucking scandal people more than ever before, you know? So just like that shit's just not going to happen anymore. You know, well, and look like Ezra Miller right now that, you know, they still put out the flash. Yeah. Uh, And if the apparently the movie didn't do very well, but if it had done very well, I'm thinking that. And so maybe there will be some sort of repercussions on their career after that. But if it had done really well, I would imagine that it would just people would stop talking about it. You know what what happened and they would just move on. Expunged. Yeah. Yeah. But. I did, what I didn't realize was that this movie, which I just watched for the first time for this episode, it now does have kind of a cult following. That there, absolutely, it's yeah. kind of this midnight movie that has all these screenings. Actually, uh, Charles Bromesco, who we just had on this show, wrote an appreciation for this movie that I came across when I was reading about this. And people, you know, they'll throw out terms like you know, uh, Diallo, Noir, uh, David Lynch, Brian De Palma, and I can see all that in here. You know, whether you think that it works or not is another question, but I can see the appeal. No, absolutely. And it sounds like that's where you're, you are, are you part of the cult then? Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding me? For sure. Yeah. I mean, I saw it in 2007, first run, and I loved it immediately. I mean, like I, I remember being in the theater being like, this is something else entirely. And now part of it was, I do love, I love misses. You know, I love, I love swinging a miss. Swing and a hit, it's nice, but I like a swing and a miss. Um, but I don't necessarily think that the film is bad at all. It's just odd. And yeah. it's immediately odd. And it's not even like in that odd way where you watch something like that fucking David Lynch makes, whether you like it or not. I appreciate the man, but you could fucking miss me on most of his filmography. So, and like, I get it and I get the the... But what I always pick up from Lynch that I appreciate about him is that it's it's an honest weirdness. And most people just want to be weird because they like that honest weirdness, but they're not weird. You know, they they do things that are affected and they think are weird. So when you get things that are called Lynchian, in quotes, it's just people doing a really bad impersonation of something that barely fucking works from the man himself, in my opinion. So I I but I see that in that, and I see De Palma, of course. And the Giallo is a pretty interesting thing to me because it is kind of, it's so far-fetched. And I think that that's why, you know, it is like every good Argento, Dario Argento movie always has some sort of element where you're like, oh yeah, that's the science here. Like four flies on gray velvet, where the eyeball takes a picture of the last image they saw. And that's how they solve the murder. You're like, go fuck yourself with that science. dude. <laughs> right. you know, like it's awesome. 
because movies yeah. are fucking awesome and they can make you believe it will work. Listen, they can and make you believe important. Superman can fly. Yeah. yeah. So I I so the the whole twin stigmata thing in this I love because it does remind me of like some of the more far-fetched like like plot mechanics of giallos, you know, and it's not science fiction and it's not even body horror. It's just some weird idea that they're like, ah, let's throw that in there. That'll make this work. And but when I saw it in 2007 to probably a theater with like me and like two old people at like 2 p.m. who just fucking fell into it as like senior <laughs> citizen fucking discount matinee. Um, I just I I remember being like, I just I I, I instantly recognize I was instantly enthusiastic about it, but I knew that no one would believe me. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. You're and, like you're like a uh, Lindsay trying to convince people that she's not the original girl. Exactly. And, and no like, one will this listen. Is really good. But like most people, like it is not traditionally good, but there is something interesting about it. And it plays fast and loose with its own logic. And that works because it's consistent enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, it's consistently uh, inconsistent. Yeah. And so that's what yeah. works about it. And she's <laughs> really good in it. And it, it's got some padding here and there where you're like, you could have did this at a solid 89 minutes and not an hour 44. But like, Although like CSI, like investigative, like, police drama in the background yeah. is like yeah, kind of like, like why? tacked on is like why are we getting to know these minor characters and they're getting like their little lines and monologues in and stuff which is but just it's important. you know if, if anything they're like funny kind of yeah uh, but also like it it what helps it does is like, then on the flip like i said it could be an 89 minute like tight 89 minutes but that hour 44 minutes with some of that tacked on padded shit just sets you adrift more and it makes you more involved, even though, you know, nothing is going to fucking matter that they're saying it. It's, it's kind of like taking like a perfectly round ball and kicking a dent in it and then fucking rolling it again, you know, and just keeps on doing it. And you're like, what's happening? And none of this shit is red herrings. Like the central mystery here is just like, what the fuck's going on? But I am always genuinely, genuinely surprised when the dad is like the couple times I've watched it. And then, you know, I rewatched it today you know uh and i'd watched it last week as well when i thought we were going to do this or whatever and then i i rewatched it today and i was like i'm always genuinely surprised that like it's all true and that the dad bought fucking aubrey the the twin from the junkie mother you know and you're like oh right this is actually pretty all right this this reveal you know yeah, you keep waiting for it to be like she wakes up and it was a dream or like yeah. it is more of a David Lynch thing where none of it makes any sense or in any sort of traditional way or none of it actually happened in like a traditional way. It was like some of that was real, some of it was not real. But like it is like by the end, all of the ludicrous shit that you're just like kind of trained as a viewer of uh, like david lynch or like movies in general to be like okay something's got to give here there's some sort of like twist to no it's all real it all happened <laughs> it's like it's just all nuts she got a robotic hand you know she got totally. a robotic hand they could have pussied out and it just made it so that she was like just living her story that she's writing about dakota you know what i mean because they yeah. give you that clue that she's been writing a story about her other half that she doesn't really under you know understand why she's writing and how she knows her fucking name but like yeah that um, was the question i had too was how does how does she seem to know what's going on as well as using the twins name as her password but uh but she's not supposed to know 
but that's the flip then. So she's feeling something, right? So it all lands actually because they actually land it. They could have just made it so that she's like, gets another knock on the head and she's like, oh shit, I'm Aubrey. <laughs> and then they figure out who the serial killer is, whatever. But the fact that they like go fucking just like whole hog on this ridiculous idea that the, it to me, like it, they, they're dead serious about it. And so that's why it really works. Like this filmmaker, uh, Chris uh, Siverton or whatever his name is, or Siver Silverton. He's got some weird name that I think it's Silverton, but it's not. Right. Um, yeah. Like Siverton or something. Yeah, something like that. Right. So he he's you know he, he just makes like cheap thrillers. You know, that's like his whole bit. Um, and his whole filmography, which isn't very long, is filled with it. Recently, he actually made a movie with Christina Ricci called uh, Monstrous that wasn't actually too bad. I saw that. Um, so he's still working. That's great. Um, and you know, hopefully he knows that people love at least one of his movies, which is this one, but recently well, yeah. like, oh no, go ahead. Uh, well, just, well, people, I, I've heard people kind of credit this as like camp, which you, mm -hmm. which I don't, I don't really agree with. Cause I think what you're saying here is that this is, this is a sincere, straightforward thing. And to me, camp has an intention of their their winking and this is just kind of over the top it's not trying to be uh campy in the same way that i think people might say that our argento or de palma movies have a camp element when i think really what they're just seeing is uh an overheated nature to it that's and yeah, i think oh. argento is a really great comparison that you brought up because he is someone who just has all of this style and seems like he he maybe spends a couple days thinking about the script. And so you you get a lot of really dumb stuff in there. And even De Palma, I think a lot of his movies, which are really fun, have, have some kind of uh, nonsense going on on the Absolutely. writing level. And I kind of yeah. see that happening here where it goes into overdrive. He wants to throw in all of this style and um, uh, themes and everything. And he's being sincere about it. Uh, but there is some kind of a disjunction maybe between the kind of sophisticated thriller it's trying to be and the holes all kind of through. The sure, well, absolutely. I think yeah. that's why it winds up being interesting because it is like so bloated with ideas. It's like a script that somebody on, it's it's, it's like Southland Tales like level of like, in like a little, a little bite-sized snack for me uh, because it is, it reminds me like Southland Tales. It's like one of those movies where you're like sitting on a bus and you're like, what are you writing? And then somebody's like, Oh, well, let me tell you what I'm writing. And it's like, bubble, 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 bubble. And then it's their twins on top of You're saying of this all. was written on a bus. Um, That's a <laughs> yeah, bold claim, Seth. But I do agree. Yeah. Like people are wrong to call this, like and Dario and David Lynch kind of stuff to be like wink, wink, campy, knowing, or even like postmodern, I think is like a wrong way of looking at all of those is like doing them a disservice, which like what I like about this and what I like about like, it's great to compare this to Dario Argento, even in a production standpoint where like you can almost see some Dario stuff as being kind of like kitschy or campy. Like it's like, there's a, blue light and there's an owl which you could totally like you see that in this there's like a crazy blue light and there's an owl and it just looks like a silly haunted house shot and you might be like oh he's like subverting by doing the old thing and like no he's just loves that and he's doing it very sincere 
and honest. And that's what I like about it. He's just going full into the dream and he doesn't care if there's holes and he's not worried about that. He, it's more of a feeling. Is it more about the feeling? Absolutely. And I think that people are seeing this as camp also is because they're just, they're mixing the myth with the movie. They're mixing the Lohan myth, what's happening to her at this point in time. And people, you know, the little girl lost bullshit that people just love to fucking magnify and then hold on to, you know, and like what I'm seeing and I, you know, I probably get shot in the head for this. Like I'm seeing like, I'm seeing like a fucking Joan Crawford performance in this from Lohan, you know, like I just, a it's such a, it's just really, a, it's like hyper melodramatic and heightened and crazy. You know, that's great. Cause that's something people don't talk about with those old movies that they are like, as much as they are seen as like the pinnacle of acting, like, no one would do that now. You would get laughed off the screen. But like, absolutely, yeah. No, I, I I agree with this with some of that. Well, and let's talk specifically about what this movie looks like because uh, it does. The, my the feeling that I got, you know, seeing this for the first time is it really does feel like a young director who is like trying so hard to throw in absolutely every like visual gimmick possible. There's a lot of the negative exposure and filters and lighting, which is where I think a lot of the Argento stuff comes from. There's like and a 35 millimeter section kind of thing where it looks like home video and the girls are screaming on the beach. It's like crazy. There's this, oh, there's yeah, one yeah, totally. scene like this, that's a this football game that they go to. And it's like he crams everything into this football game where all of a sudden they start moving in reverse motion and there's these thundering sound effects as they bash into each other. And everything goes black and white except for the color blue, all for yep. no discernible reason. <laughs> and uh, I, I really feel like this guy did a big part of this director kind of just got his mind blown by Mulholland Drive or something, because especially the way the color blue is everywhere. This is everywhere. the bluest movie I've ever seen. It's like so, <laughs> oh, yeah. it is so heightened. And we do eventually <laughs> get kind of an explanation, which is, it's kind of it's actually kind of obvious, but also uh, is silly at the same time as far as the, you know, obviously one of her is the blue Lindsay and one is the red Lindsay. Mm -hmm. And is uh, that an explanation? I was seeing though? so much. You of know, that. that's always the thing. It's just we get, we get the close ups of flames. Um, we get a lot of dissolves, which is another yeah. thing that Lynch likes to use a lot of, although he does. I don't know. A lot yeah. of this kind of did make it feel kind of copy and pasted together rhythmically mm -hmm. for this movie and i think that i've read that there's like a three-hour cut out there and maybe that's why oh what i'll, I'll fucking take it i'll fucking yeah. take oh, a three-hour cut of this <laughs> oh my god i can only imagine Netflix cut up into uh, into three hours like one episode two episode three episode like they did with fucking tarantino's hateful eight on netflix or whatever right i'll take that <laughs> There must be so much more detective stuff in there because we get these yeah, detectives boy. who just like Crossing disappear partway through the movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not just one murder, you know? So Exactly. Well, they, they pretty much like solve it at a certain point and then they like figured out kind of the movie and then they're out of the movie. They're just like, oh, they, <laughs> yeah. have, the same, they have the same DNA. And then we fade and we never see them again. There's a point where she, where the new Lindsay reconnects with, the old Lindsay's a frustrated boyfriend and has sex with him. And I, which I think that's actually one of the more clever th things. It's, it's kind of cool to see her like, be like, Oh, she would never fuck you. Let's, let's do this. And she, and she just has sex with <laughs> him. 
She has one leg, picks up her crutches, and like walks past her mom scoffing, like, we're going to go upstairs and fuck. <laughs> and then they go upstairs and fuck, and the mom is downstairs trying to drown out the fuck sounds by cleaning dishes and stuff. Yeah. It's awesome. And then he disappears from the movie, too. And we yeah, like, totally never he's, he's, he's done. Yeah. yeah he yeah. goes with the detectives off somewhere and uh, <laughs> just have their own movie. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah the detective stuff is so silly i love like my probably my favorite line is when they're talking about the serial killers or the serial killer and you know this guy he he gives them like frostbite and then like cuts off their fingers which is actually dry a gross scene yeah, yeah. that's gross that's pretty yeah. Gnarly. Gross. Yeah, and one awesome. detective goes i think the cutting is about punishment <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> like oh. man you you've got it man <laughs> <laughs> you just really got into the fucking killer's psyche yeah um, this is some david like, fincher shit <laughs> it's like don't forget this like kind of comes around the time where maybe it's like kind of on the other end of like the torture porn boom too yes yeah so some of this stuff is pretty fucking grisly you know as far as like what they show you yeah there's an unwatchable an unwatchable element to some of that stuff that was pretty gross watching them like he he like holds this this he like uh, kind of holds down this ice against their fingers using like a tool of some kind, like a yeah, vice grip. Vice. Yeah, yeah, vice grip. Yeah. Until their finger, fingers turn black, and then he like peels it off, peeling them off. fucking skin off and shit. Yes, it's fucking awesome. Yeah. yeah, it's like that is a twisted idea that came yeah, out of that. Great. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. actually pretty good. Yeah. And, uh, but I do, and I do love that, you know, she wakes up without a leg and without a hand. And mm -hmm. I think that is one of the craziest things about this movie is she gets this, like, this Buster Bluth style, like, robot hand with <laughs> yeah. super strength. Yeah. It is Buster. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, know, there's uh, not a lot of budget in there to, like, CG out her fucking stump. You know what I mean? Like, right. so they had to figure so out something. Just... <laughs> and so she clearly just has on this, like, rubber glove. That uh, it you know, it's supposed to have a robot hand underneath it. Oh, awesome. but she keeps forgetting to plug it in, which the doctors keep reminding her, you got to plug in the bionic hand or it's not going to work. And she's just like, oh, yeah. I keep forgetting to plug it in. The funny <laughs> thing about that is she gets a we get this big warning about how you if you got to charge the leg or the leg <laughs> is going to that it's going to go out. And he actually doesn't say it about the hand. And I was thinking, you know, this hand seems a lot more advanced than the leg. Yeah, yeah the shouldn't hand we be oh, more okay, worried? So the hand doesn't have to charge. Oh, okay, it's the leg that has to charge. We don't get a <laughs> warning about it. Hand and, runs on yeah. enough sun power. I think. And yet, with all that <laughs> setup, it it never ends up paying off. Like I think at one no. point the battery starts beeping on her leg, and but you think it's going to be this big thing, but then it just kind of moves on. Oh right, and that could be like a cool thing where she's like, "Oh shit, the battery's out," and the guy's chasing her, and she's got one leg. Yeah, uh, but know. I guess they maybe that's in the three-hour cut because we didn't get. Might that. be in the three-hour <laughs> cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but she fucks that killer up at the end, you know. So she does right. exactly. I was waiting for that. We did get Chekhov's super robot hand paid off in the end. <laughs> and the and the and the and the owl the owl in the on the wall in the first scene goes off in the third. You know. Because that's how yeah. she finds herself, <laughs> you know? <laughs> there you go, film school, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And uh, yeah, great. I know it is It is fun to ask questions like that because she, especially when we get into this, the story with the twin, or she doesn't realize she's a twin. She's just like, hey, I'm not this girl. Let me out of here. And she's kind of strangely belligerent with all the investigators. Like, why are you keeping me in this hospital? Meanwhile, she's, you know, trying, she's trying to get a, prosthetic leg and and robot arm you know fit in 
And, uh, (laughs) but we get these flashbacks where she, you know, her origin story is that she's this stripper and has this awful life and, uh, lives in like a slum and she starts Melvin. Yes. It's cool. And I love, I don't know. What do you guys think of the, the way that stripping is portrayed in this movie? Cause it does, it kind of has this kind of, you know, teenage boys like idea of what a CD strip club is like. But at the same time, it's like the famous, anytime a famous actress plays a stripper, it's always kind of like tops always on. She's just in a skimpy outfit. Yeah, and, uh, it's the most PG-13 strip scene ever. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's definitely I like mean, somebody who's never been to a strip club, but has only seen strip clubs yes. in movies, you know? And that's yeah. also kind of a charming thing to me about it, you know? You're just kind of like, is. wow. Well, and I think David Lynch himself uh, <clears throat> falls under that category a lot, too. Like, I don't think yeah. that his, his movies, like Fire Walk With Me or, or whatever, are really any less kind of, alarmist and simplistic about like oh my god look at these these beautiful girls doing coke yeah. and stripping they, yeah they have totally. legs you know <laughs> he's just terrified of them <laughs> the two twins are these like they are such they're so exaggerated they're just like very exaggerated like their their flaws and their uh i don't know the she is like a quintessential like bad girl does drugs is sexy you know and then the other girl is like <laughs> I'm a good girl. I don't do sex. I don't do drugs. And, stuff. and she wears but glasses. That, that is like the whole I, thing. And is I just write, like, everything you know? has to really be <laughs> yes. like hitting you over the head with it. Cause you know, it's a, it's a teenage girl's short story inside of a teenage girl's dream or whatever it is. Uh, or something. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I feel like we're all pretty much, you know, agreed about what this movie is like. It just depends if that's the kind of thing that you're into, you know, that this is not a boring movie. This is not like, we'll talk about the canyons too, I guess, but both movies you could argue are not conventionally of high quality, but one, this one was much more entertaining for me to actually sit through. Yeah. Yeah. And there's just so, there's a lot, there's a lot there to, to wade through. Um, Especially because, you know, the whole thing is that she's this stripper and then all of a sudden she starts getting these wounds from nowhere and her finger like falls off. And for some reason, she feels like she has to lie to everybody about it. And yeah, she's not telling anybody about it, which to me is like awesome. She's like, oh, shit, my finger just fell off. Got to sew it back on. <laughs> what nasty fuck did I fuck last night? Yeah, that I need to that I my fingers falling. What did what sexually transmitted disease makes my middle finger fall off? So (laughs) (laughs) is this syphilis? So you know, it's just it's incredible, like that she's just kind of like hiding it. You're like, uh, yeah, and there's some line should definitely be going to the hospital. But whatever, all good. And she does say at one point, oh, hospitals are for rich people. And I was like, okay, I could kind of you know, it is fucked up in this country. You have to make medical decisions based on financial worries and that kind of stuff. But once this your leg falls GoFundMe. off, it's like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's our healthcare right now is GoFundMe. But once your yeah, leg yeah. falls off, it's like, okay, I'm not going to buy any more that you're not going to the hospital. Yeah. Sorry, kid. Yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't bionic. fall off. <laughs> Great. Yeah. No. yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, but, that's part of the fun. I don't know. That is part of the fun of this movie, though, is is considering all of those things and even how the mystery become, finally does unfold. She doesn't so much find clues about it as 
Like she just sits down and talks with her mom and her mom's like, yeah, when you were born, it looked like you were going to die. And then they took you away from me. And then two days later, they brought you back and you were fine. And there's, and the whole time the dad is creeping behind them to be like, it was me. It was me. And, uh, she doesn't, and she's just like the audience. She just thinks, oh, duh. I was, I was, my was a, your kid died (laughs) and the dad got a twin. And she's just like, oh, obviously that's what happened. And that's what we're thinking too. Information received. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Got it. Got it. And this is our, uh, our twin stigmata (laughs) is happening, which I think there actually is a germ of like a decent idea there. Someone is experiencing the wounds of another person that they don't know. And then they get mistaken for them. Like, I think there is an idea in there. Yeah. It's called, uh, I know who killed me. It's (laughs) yeah. 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 Cause I think anybody who tries to do it now, somebody's just going to be like, wait, so have you not seen that Lindsay Lohan movie? I know who killed Mm -hmm. me. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) That kind of balls to the wall, this fucking, uh, this idea of, of, of twin stigmata, you know, but, um, yeah. Basically my final word on it is it's fucking great. Everybody should watch it and give it a open-minded chance. You know, like, <laughs> because again, like you said, it's not traditionally, it is, it doesn't operate like, how about this? It's not, it's not good or bad situation. It doesn't operate as a traditional movie, you know? So it's a little sure. off the cuff. It's odd, you know, School's it's out. in focus and they had an editing machine and a lighting package and cameras. So <laughs> it's a movie, you know, it is. but mm, it's, it's a little off and I, and I appreciate that about it. It's got a couple dents in it, you know? More yeah, than a just, couple, but you know. <laughs> well, just know what you're getting what you're getting into. And I could see how this became a cult movie. And uh, just to give my final word, you know, we usually at the end of each movie we'll say whether we would unwatch it or not for any variety of reasons. And I would not unwatch this because, like I said, part of the fun is the disjunction between this kind of lynch light psychological thriller um that it aspires to be with this kind of just bedrock kind of dumbness to it in a in a way that is amusing in that you know in that sense and just know what you're getting into and i think that we've done a pretty good job of of giving you an idea of you know what that is and i will also what you're say getting into. <laughs> that uh i do think Lindsay lowen is pretty good in this that yeah i i do agree with that that she is not she is not the reason to make fun of this movie or sh- she should not be on the receiving end of this abuse that she got at the time when this movie came out that's crazy to me yeah that you know so people are in you know good or bad movies throughout their career but i think she brings her all to it and uh, you you try this exactly (laughs) no she's she's not sleeping through the movie and that's the most important thing absolutely she's really actually committing and trying and it's 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 an energy it's an energetic performance it's exciting to watch actually so she's cool man she's really good in it yeah so seth any final words before we move on Oh, no, I mean, I feel like I've said what I would say about it. It's like a wonderful meeting place of a lot of what I like, which is the surreal, over-the-top, like, lynchiness meeting with sort of the surreal stuff that can happen in, like, schlock, like, movies that are just, like, no one kind of cares about them, like, Plan 9 or something like that, where, but then the plot can just go off the rails and go into all sorts of wild places, and... Again, that is not to compare that to say it's a bad movie. It is just like a very interesting movie. Uh, And I I like anything that can remind you that like 
I don't know. Like it's a bigger game than just like getting a gr- getting a grade or something, right? It's a bigger the bigger game is more of like I've had an experience there, you know. That is and it is an experience. And again, like it's something that I think like maybe it's low hanging fruit to say, but I think it would just be like a good time for teens. I don't think they're really ever gonna probably see this. It probably is going to be more like weird film guys like us watching it because it's kind of obscure at this point, but I don't know. I think they it, it could have like a Donnie Darko kind of like poster on the wall kind of thing for teenagers. Could be a good sleepover movie. Uh, yeah, it really is. And to me, it plays with a crowd. So it's been playing in New York on 35. Uh, this place called the Roxy Cinema screened it and it screened it to a, like a packed crowd. It plays really well with a crowd when there's actually a crowd in the theater sure. as opposed to when I saw it. You know, right. <laughs> and so I, I would like, I, I, you know, it's just a great experience seeing with people and people are going to laugh at it. Cause that's how the people do at any screening that any movie that's fucking older than fucking four years ago, you know, so, you know, it's just like, it doesn't matter what it is. People will go show to a, up to a screen. People will show up and laugh at casino. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So, vertigo. Yeah. They'll have people yeah. will think it's, it's, like, what's it's so corny funny and... about this. Yeah. You know, but it's an audience problem, not a movie problem. Yeah. No, no, no. It's an American audience problem, actually. Mm. So, you know, <laughs> so it's just dumbest fucking country in the world. So, um, yeah. Anyway, hey, sorry. We agreed I on inter- that. <laughs> yeah. I, I interrupt Seth's unwatchable watchable. I'm sorry. But Oh, no. I'm, I'm good. I, I'm, yeah. We're there. No one watches on this one. I, I will probably watch again. Yes, I will. We're probably in the next couple months. So, hopefully. Well, it was a long six years between I Know Who Killed Me and The Canyons. So... We're jumping up to 2013 now in pretty much a kind of attempted career revival at this point because she did not do much between these two movies. And, you know, further was in more trouble and people mocking her and, you know, going in and out of rehab and that kind of stuff. So it probably sounded like a great idea at the time to be like, all right, we have a, a Paul Schrader, like independent auteur project written by Brett Easton Ellis and... I believe she's a producer on the movie too. So, you know, they kind of got together with the idea of this being something that could possibly revitalize her career, but there's also, you know, more going on in the movie besides just what's going on with her character. Yeah. And for those who don't know, uh, Paul Schrader is the writer of Taxi Driver. um, And oh, and Raging Bull, Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Like a direct director also of great movies. Uh, Hardcore, Blue Collar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Brett Easton Ellis is known for writing the book American Psycho and Less Than Zero, Rules of Attraction. Like big deal, like Gen X, like dark transgressive writer, uh, counterculture kind of writer guy. Yeah. So So what are I want to get everyone's thoughts on these two guys before we start getting into Lindsay Lohan too, because uh, I don't have a lot of experience with Brady Stanellis. Doesn't really seem like my kind of guy from what I've, uh, the things that I've heard publicly from him and the kinds of things that he tends to write about. So I don't have much of an opinion of him, but Paul Schrader, I mean, you could consider him a legend that's, you know, he's known a lot for his writing with Martin Scorsese. And when I was looking back at this, I, I'm not a, there's aren't a lot of his own directed movies that I love. I do love, I love blue collar. That's by far my favorite. Um, 
that I've seen from him. But, you know, he has done stuff like you mentioned, Chris, uh, Hardcore and First Reformed was a recent one that was really critically acclaimed. I like American Gigolo and Mishima a lot. Mishima is a big one. Yeah, Mishima's great. But he also sometimes seems to me like the kind of director that he's kind of just as likely to put out kind of a misfire as like a masterpiece from movie to movie. But I don't know. I don't know. Where do you guys? Yeah. Where do you land on on him? Because I even a lot of the stuff like even First Reformed and Mishima, like I kind of am a little more lukewarm on than a lot of other people are. And uh, that might just be my taste. Yeah. I mean, because really they're like First Reformed and, and Mishima or whatever are just well regarded, you know? Yes. You, like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like above board, there's not a lot, a whole lot of lukewarm responses. So it, it's totally a taste thing, which is fine because like first reformed is a really cold ass movie. And then so is the movie he made after it, the card counter. And then recently master gardener. But what's important to understand about Schrader making the canyons at this time is because he's floundering. You know, he made <clears throat> the exorcist prequel a couple of years before. And, <clears throat> Sorry, oh, and that's like a total. Right. That's a total failure. Like Dominion, I think it was called, or something. Exorcist Dominion, that was or something. Him? Wow. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Well, let me rephrase. He made it. They finished principal photography. They got into like into editing, and they fired him. And they had Rennie Harlan, you know Hollywood's favorite fucking hack, come in and reshoot the whole entire movie. Basically. Yeah. There's basically two versions of that Exorcist movie that are completely different. Absolutely. <laughs> no, that's a great way to to frame where Paul Schrader was at this time, too. Yeah. So you could a see low, this. A fucking low. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And you could, I kind of wonder, you know, how much of this is a Paul Schrader joint and how much of it is a Brett Easton Ellis uh, project? Because I, I hear so much of Ellis in the dialogue and the sensibility and everything and I also wonder if, apparently, I heard something where Ellis was saying that he imagined this script making a more like kind of lively, punchy, like dark comedy kind of movie, which is not how Schrader shoots it. It's it's very like static and uh, sleepily kind of paced in in that kind of Verson way, which is that's you know his thing. So maybe we just had a mismatch here between yeah. sensibilities also. Which it is uh, interesting to see. It it does feel as someone who, from someone who has read a few of Ellis's books and is kind of like begrudgingly, like at least like over the years, begrudgingly like followed him a bit of just like it. It, it does feel like his world of his. He just has this patented sort of like we're watching the most awful like top of the food chain rich people be just so uncaring about the world beneath them quote unquote and everything like that and just aren't these young people awful (laughs) aren't they saying just bad things at his best though um which i do i do enjoy the book less than zero Uh, i never got through american psycho um but i think at, at his best like something like less than zero and at the better, better parts of American psycho and in his other books is that he weaponizes that in a way like weaponizing boredom or weaponizing um, like, like really pushing your face into a, into like a space that you don't want to be in and you feel uncomfortable in, but you also feel kind of like you've infiltrated someplace. You're a fly on the wall. Um, and like, yeah, like the way that, you know, even in the movie, like American Psycho, everybody knows that like there's just 
minutes where they go by where he's just saying the most dull bullshit about what he does with his shampoo, you know, and stuff like that. And it's all there in his novels, which is like this sort of like just bombarding you with malaise. Ellis himself is interesting. It seems like they've both kind of came to this sort of angry old man phase, which I've, I've became like a big, like, I hate it. It's like this thing that I hate listen to, which is the Brett Easton Ellis podcast for me personally, because I both like find him interesting as an artist and interesting as a persona, just even on the level of listening to him be like a bitchy kind of queen about (laughs) shit, like on his podcast, just bitching and bitching about stuff about the movie industry. And but like his like almost every single episode of his podcast comes to this point where he has to ask whoever it is about the 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 like the point we're in where like what happened to movies what what what's wrong with movies do do we go to movies anymore what is what what happened what happened now is it uh generation snowflake ruining everything the woke mob is just like always he's like just obsessed with it which like for me it's like basically no it's like the classic thing brett where it's like you're older now and you're kind of out of the loop, maybe, and you're probably panicking about it. But it, I, I, I say all this to segue into the opening of the movie, and I'll, and sort of a motif of the movie is these like uh, deserted theaters. And there's even talk here and there about like how nobody goes to movies anymore. And I don't, I don't know. Yeah, like Mark and I were kind of like watching the movie and scratching our heads about that as to like what the movie actually had to say. In a movie that is basically like a drama, like most of it is just back and forth with like characters, like, you know, sort of having like cheating and, you know, like infidelity and things like that. Yeah, the whole industry setting kind of felt incidental to me that these people could have been in any business and all those shots of the movie theaters, I mean, to me almost felt like kind of a last ditch attempt of of layering some more thematic meaning that wasn't explored totally in the movie but i don't know maybe you disagree chris but i'm curious about it i don't know well here's what i gotta say for one thing is that there's a great quote by paul schrader about brett easton ellis's writing is that he calls it beautiful people doing bad things in nice rooms and that couldn't be a more succinct uh description of ellis's writing and that translates yeah, and obviously this to this movie is <laughs> So to me, like, there is, I love Ellis. I love what people probably would tag as problematic Ellis now on his podcast and all the shitty talks um, and the contrarianness of him. um, I appreciate, but I I love his writing because of all that minutia, because of all that boredom. And I I do too. I don't really give a fuck about the bad things. I fuck, I love, I love like, okay, I'm going to talk about this fucking uh, Cabossier's fucking fucking like chair for like fucking two pages for no reason, you know, because it's a rich thing, you know, it's a, it's a wealthy Mm -hmm. thing. And so it's effective. Yeah. It's, and so how Schrader shoots this movie to me is actually like, Ellis can be a huge, he's a, uh, he's a huge film head. He loves movies. He obviously, because he fucking talks about the fucking industry all the time. And he always is trying to get things made to me. It's not something like rules of attraction is the best Ellis or even less than zero is the best Ellis or the most um, appropriate representation of how he writes in his style. It's this movie, which is 
dry, overlit, <laughs> you know what I mean? And just like bored people. Lesson Zero is, I, I love Lesson Zero, the movie, but it's actually too exciting in comparison to how the book is. Same thing with Rules of Attraction and same thing with American Psycho. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I felt they like are, they, Rules of Attraction was the closest for me, but that's true that this one is like, yeah, it is right there. It is Ellis like audiobook. It's like most mostly like the movie's just an ambient track, you know? <laughs> you're just listening to like an ambient song, but you're watching. Wait, it. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Cause that's is how Ellis makes me feel, even in, in his prose, is that it's more it's like drone. It's drone it's the drone of the monotony and everything. And these people are like voids, right? They are like like what you're saying, like like you're sort of feeling, starting to feel like the way they feel, which is like, yeah, like what you're saying. When you get to the sex scene with Lindsay Lohan and it should be exciting and like everything, it's like, you're just, you you're also don't give a shit. They're like everybody else. Where they're all like so bored, so fucking over everything. Yeah, we were kind of laughing watching this, just picturing Paul Schrader like sitting in his directing chair with like a cup of coffee and uh, Velcro shoes and just like watching the directing, like these almost porn <laughs> scenes. Yeah. And Ellis being like, can we get one more guy in here? Can we get one more naked guy? <laughs> yeah. Tell, can we get one more naked guy in here? For sure. Yeah. I loved that. I, that is like what made one of my favorite parts that I just like Ellis definitely uh, not abusing his power, but having fun uh, and like letting him like, I would like to see, James Dean, uh, you know, naked maybe. So just for anyone, for the probably 99% of people listening to this who haven't seen this movie. It's true. Uh, we got really carried there's away. There's not like, much. There's yeah, not we really. Went, we went like 30 minutes in before we're going to do this movie. It's a wormhole <laughs> void. I'm telling you, it's a wormhole <laughs> void. Well, I was kind of dreading doing a plot summary too, because so much of it is not a lot happens. It's it's like there's a situation, I guess. So we have Lindsay Lohan living with uh kind of movie producer trust fund baby who's played by james dean d-e-e-n the actual real life porn star and they uh you know they're in a relationship they're both cheating on each other and have had past relationships with other people that the other isn't aware of and they just kind of go in circles around that they hook up through cell phones with like uh and have threesomes with random people and or uh, even couples and things and it's very sure. like very exotic in the film which by by today's standards i guess looks a little funny like to like probably a gen z person looking at it, them basically using tinder um on their phones and be and like yeah people looking aghast as like wow you guys like are polyamorous although they never would use that term in this movie yeah and i guess like there is a particular guy who he casts in a movie that it turns out is in love with his girlfriend and he kind of becomes obsessed with tormenting this guy and that's pretty much a lot of it you know when it comes down to the action it's just it's a lot of you know good looking people like walking into rooms and talking about who they're fucking who someone else is fucking how they're not happy about this or that and they just kind of them walk into the next room and talk to a different person about it. And like you said, they throw in, yeah, they do throw in a murder like at the very end as a kind of like, hey, hey, look, like here's, you know, something had happened. But like you were saying, Chris, just like the sex scenes, it all kind of just stays on that one EKG level solid, you know, through the whole thing all the way to the end, which could super aggravate you. Or you could argue that it does evoke this completely vacant 
vapid uh, mindset of these people. And that makes me wonder, it sounds like that's common in a lot of Ellis's work. And it sounds to me like maybe American Psycho is kind of the one exception that more people know about because it has that, but it it's in this stark contrast with the whole serial killer thing, which adds a dramatic engine to it and makes it a lot funnier to see it juxtaposed that way. Whereas here, it's it's like American Psycho if he was just a boring Wall Street guy <laughs> and didn't kill anybody. Right. It's funny to consider it that like actually what you find out is that the murder is levity. Yes, actually. Like it's actually more of like, oh, that is like a relief from the monotony and nihilism right but the thing the difference obviously is that also american psycho has like a fucking double barreled performance by christian bale which is also makes it uh more legendary than anything else because oh yeah he's so good yeah and here we have a literal porn star who this james dean guy i like i can see why they cast him in this and when the movie started i was thinking all right, this guy is, I mean, he's a convincing, vapid, like nonchalant asshole for sure. Um, as it went on, you could also start to see that as kind of a one note performance that he found a guy who can only deliver lines like this, who can only stare off uh, distractedly into the distance and was like, all right, this will work for this role. But I'm not sure that made it like a good performance here because he did start to grate on me a little bit as it goes. And the other people, one, I don't know, what was kind of funny about this movie, me reading about it, was that it was supposed to be like this. This is the new way that we're going to do movies, that they did a lot of social media promotion, you know, 10 years ago, and that wasn't as integral to movie promotion as it is today. And, and they, they actually like GoFundMe. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Or yeah. Kickstarter yeah. or whatever the thing was. Then. Yeah, Kickstarter. Yeah, for sure. And they even used this website to cast everyone outside of the two main roles that was like where people could just get access to a few script pages and anyone could submit their audition. And they were yeah, like, they this is the way of the it. future. Yeah. And I mean, the result here is a lot of outside of these two lead roles, kind of like teen soap opera performances. I don't know, the other main guy is from Glee or something who didn't really do much for me. Either. And then there's this other guy from porn. I, I don't know his name, but I was like, oh, I've seen that guy. Yeah, talking about <laughs> Danny Wilde in the opening scene. Who is an author, I think, too. Isn't he an author? He is. Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier. So <clears throat> I've known Danny for a long time and James because I used to work at kink.com and James was there every day. Oh. Um, <laughs> basically from 2009 to 2012, I worked for kink.com as their set decorator. James was James was a big uh, proponent of uh, uh, the shoot team there. He was there all the time, and so was Danny Wilde, who's the first guy that they call over. You know, who just has got the haircut and the plugs, and you know, takes off his shirt and he takes off his pants and he starts jerking He's off. He's the one whatever. who jerks off. So, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it actually has one of the most compelling. And I was actually talking to Chris because I was texting him, being like, "I'm watching the Canyons, dude, and I'm about to talk about it on a podcast tomorrow." So. Um, he was like, it's got one of the best shots of the movie because it's an inadvertent kind of happenstance shot, which is James Dean's or Christian's cell phone shot of Danny jerking off and, and Christian going down on Lindsay Lohan or whatever. And it's just like this bad angle of just da of, of, of Danny, Danny uh, jerking off. <laughs> and it's just like, it only comes in for a second. I was like, but this is like the most compelling shot of the whole movie. This is actually a very good shot because it's so weird. Um, and you don't see mm -hmm. anything like it again. But so Danny, his porn name was Danny Wilde, but 
he retired from the business and he is now known by his regular everyday guy name, which is uh, Chris Zyshik. And he's uh, written some amazing books, Body to Job, which is actually about his time in the porn industry. It's very good. And he wrote a book for amphetamine sulfate called The Magician, which actually is currently sold out and won't be in, it's out of print right now. It will be back in print next year sometime. Um, I did the cover for that. Um, he's awesome. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, I forgot I had listened to a podcast with him like uh, on like called Wake Island, and I thought he was just yeah, so like, fascinating on there. And I was meant to yeah. look, look up his book, so that's awesome that you know him. He yeah. fucking rules, man, and he's, he's uh, definitely somebody like when I was at Kink, we didn't really know each other very well, and then it just kind of... <clears throat> We kind of met each other after, after he was like retired um, because he was in a band with a, another porn star named uh, Chad uh, uh, Fierstad. <laughs> and uh, he's, um, and so they were in a band together and I did some art for them. And then, you know, we were kind of like releasing books at the same time and he's in the Hunchback 88 reissue. And actually he has a, I'm probably blowing up his spot with this, but I'm just going to say it anyways. He's got a book of short stories coming out, and one of the stories is actually about him killing me. <laughs> Whoa. All right. Yeah, it's fucking <laughs> rules. You know who killed you. I definitely know who killed me. It's, Dan <laughs> it's, it's, it's Danny. It's Chris. Well, yeah, and it is interesting. I could see people thinking that this movie does play like the dialogue scenes in an actual uh, porn movie. Besides the, uh, you know, there are some some pretty... A lot of actors who are not as comfortable in front of the camera as Lindsay Lohan is. That's why I, another thing I think that whatever you think of this movie, you can't put any of the blame on her. That she is some somebody who gives a compelling performance and clearly just has more experience than a lot of the other people in this movie, uh, including James Dean. The other guy, the uh, fucking Ryan Funk or whatever that actor's name is who plays the other guy, he just flat out sucks. Like just sucks. Yeah, he's like he some sucks. Kind of just, yeah, just, poor guy. Justin Bieber kind of analog. He's got he's garbage. But like that, also that like that blank, stupid frat boy like like aggression to him and him getting mad about things and being a jealous little dick. Like also kind of probably how a guy like that acts. You know? Yeah. Like you know whose personality is who he's fucking. You know what I mean? Like and how mm. cool his body looks. You know and whatever. So. Well, one thing Seth said when we were when we were watching this was that this is one of those movies that would probably be a lot more interesting to watch like a documentary of its making or to just hang around on the set. Because I think a lot of what you're saying is it almost does function in that documentary way of these are people who are embodying the kind of person Ellis is writing about because they kind of are those people, not because yes. they're, <laughs> they're uh, you know, yeah. masterfully tapping into them. Yeah. And that does yeah. give this a, an aura and an atmosphere, if nothing else. Yeah. Again, like you said, drone. It's a drone movie. <laughs> you know, yeah. like it just hums, uh, you know, it's just got a hum to it. I like what you said about James Dean's performance and that it, it highlights something in Ellis that he does. James Dean, the James Dean character, what is, is his, what is his name? Christian. 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 Yeah. Christian. Yeah. Great name for an evil a uh, porn star person to have. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it's a good example of this sort of, like I do, I'm with it in that he is like a perfect example of a guy who is just so like realistically void and 
like uninteresting and not multi-layered at all. But almost like watching him, it's like Ellis does have this other element of like fantasy. Like it almost gets like blown to the point where he is like, this person is just such a void. They become like a cartoon or something. And I feel like that can kind of work as either a bug or like a feature for some people um, in all of his work. And yeah, it depends on, on, on a lot of this stuff. And for me, it did wind up being like pretty tough where it is just like, I am now like, like, again, like there, it's hard to differentiate between drone <laughs> music that I like and then drone music <laughs> that right. I don't like. Sometimes it's just an air conditioner someone left on. <laughs> the repetitive nature of it and the monotony for me in this one, where in other Ellis joints, I feel like wind up being like a good thing and it is like useful here. It winds up being like what it actually usually is, which is like off putting like and in, and in, in a way that is like makes me want to sort of get away from the movie <laughs> yeah and it also makes that point pretty clear in the first scene like you get it and uh it, doing it over a whole on the same thing then for a whole hour and 45 minutes it's like we've we've evoked this pretty quickly pretty powerfully I officially feel it yeah and is there <laughs> is there a movie here beyond that uh i guess is the question and I, if i was going to be more like concrete i guess about the criticisms is there was a feeling of this being kind of out of touch which you know maybe at this point Easton Ellis and Paul Schrader you know didn't necessarily have their their finger on the you know the the pulse of these youthful people that he does kind of treat you know threesomes and partner swapping like it's just the height of depravity and <laughs> right that there's the, the the innocent guy on the other side of the table who would be like wait what you would like yeah. I don't, I, it, it just seems a yeah it seems a little trite now kind of the even if you are like kind of like weirded out you're like basically are, like culturally now you're basically not allowed to do that so you just wouldn't sure do of that, course i feel yeah, like yeah. you know yeah and so maybe they also weren't the people to pioneer this new kind of you know crowdfunding movies and casting people over the internet and stuff like maybe their heart wasn't totally in it there is some kind of funny technology stuff in here too that like there's a scene where she using some kind of service where she's like text messaging over the tv screen yeah which kind it's of, really weird it was like <laughs> we were just a little too early because you know now when people text in movies it pops up on the screen like they figured out how to show you texting in movies and they hadn't sure. quite figured that out at the time and absolutely Christian does have this just kind of vaguely defined tech guy. Like every rich guy just has a tech guy who yeah, can- he's got the guy in the chair. Yeah. Yes. He can hack yeah. into deleted text messages on other people's phones. He can hack into their Facebooks and he can their hack bank into account. their bank account. <laughs> How long will it take you to get into the bank account? Probably a half hour. And it, it yeah. really felt that like the guy who wrote this like he definitely needed his kids to set up his iPod like in 2013. <laughs> or, his, or his like twink boyfriend. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. His young, his young chicken. Yeah, for sure. So, and uh, I do good. think that's a little indicative of some. You know, these are kind of purposefully bland caricatures of people that we're seeing, but there is a certain level of tone deafness to it, also. That sure. Yeah. Didn't definitely. help. And yeah. uh, you could say it's whether it's intentional or not. It's kind of a boring movie, but maybe that's at least 
how I saw it. Yeah, which is where the drone comes in. Yeah. Right. It's about boring people. And it just depends. How interested are you in boring idiots? And if you want to delve into them, here's a lot of time you can spend with boring idiots. Yeah, it's how much you want to get on their level. And like, I think a lot of people, a lot of us, a lot of, or maybe just a lot of film fans got, tried to get on that level because of the pedigree, you know? And that's why people come out of it, um, you know, uh, wanting, wanting more out of it. <clears throat> and I did initially as well in 2013. And, but I, upon seeing it a, a few times over, over the past decade, I've been able to get on its level, but I, I know it now. You know what I mean? I can't, I, I can't imagine what a first viewing looks like now. You know what I mean? But like, I've seen it a few times. So for me, I'm just like, to me, it's just like warm bath movie, you know? And to me, like also the thing I love about it, and I kind of said this at the top a little, is, is that it is from intent to execution, like a perfect, a perfect landing because of who's involved, especially at the root of the, of the words of the idea, which is Ellis kind of just to get it to me, it's like the greatest Ellis, uh, that adaptation or whatever just because it to me it matches his writing you know like so i i <laughs> i i love it i would never fucking recommend it to anybody in the fucking world <laughs> <laughs> yeah ever i wouldn't be like yo you got to see the canyons dude sick james dean perfect actor Lindsay lohan bringing it you know paul schrader top of his game ellis genius i would never say that <laughs> but I really like it and not yeah. in a, cause I don't believe in guilty pleasures. You just like what you like who fucking cares. Yeah. Sure. So, sure. you know what I mean? Like, so I, I, I love it. You know, am I going to show it to anybody? No, but you know, still I'll talk about it for an hour and a half with you guys on a fucking podcast. Apparently. <laughs> so. Well, that is the real thing about the movie is just like, man, it is a conversation. Yeah. It is yes, a conversation is. to be had. Yeah. And it, you won't forget it. My, you might've been bored, but you'll think to yourself, like, you'll now think to yourself, Paul Schrader, and think, oh, yeah, the canyons. Right. <laughs> you'll think yes. blue collar, well, and then you'll think the canyons. That rules. Oh, God help us. <laughs> <laughs> there's, yeah, there's the canyons, the entity, which is, like, the strange raw material that I will remember. And then there's yes. the canyons, the actual movie, where, like, the actual, like, what happened? I It kind of has already <laughs> kind of disappeared sure. from my yeah. mind. But the yeah. idea, the idea will always be there. The that's right that's important because you can't say that for a lot of movies you know especially these days so i yeah. appreciate that about it you know well that's well so that's a that is good of a defense of this as i could possibly imagine and even though <laughs> uh for if i had if i had to sit down and make the decision uh i could see unwatching this maybe not un uh, knowing it and experiencing it. So I'll keep the idea and unwatch the experience of sitting there for an hour <laughs> and 45 minutes. But I do, at least in terms of Brett Easton Ellis, I could see this being distilled down to its purest essence for better or for worse, that you're right. There is an absolute purity to it, it tapping into exactly the kind of thing he wants to tap into whether it's mm -hmm. experiential or makes you think about it or however you want to process it, that mm -hmm. the everything about it, the stiltedness, the, the how awful and boring the people are, like he is the poet, Loic, poet, poet laureate of these boring idiots. And, yes. and uh, that's, if you could appreciate it on that level. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I will, I also would not recommend it to anybody. 
No, 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 man. But so, Seth, where where do you land between the two of us? I mean, it's pretty tough because it is like the final product. Like I said, like the actual movie itself does really disappoint me in a way that and part of it is maybe that I, I was like really I was excited by what is surrounding it, which will, I think, always be like something that probably like either harms like and like kind of harms the movie for some viewers is that like this. It's a lot to live up to, like a lot of legacy to live up to. Uh, and I do agree from from the perspective of being a fan of Ellis's work that this is very close to what an Ellis book like is. It's just like, I guess the example I would use is like, and I have some like reservations about the movie for sure, but I don't hate it as much as a lot of people did. Uh, the Watchmen adaptation, where it's like, it is in a lot of ways, like, the antithesis of what the book The Watchmen is, which is not flashy, no slow motion, no like wild, like <laughs> you would never read The Watchmen. And like the whole point is that they're like clothy, like stupid looking guys in a room. And then Zack Schneider does something that is more like in the imaginary realm of what's going on in The Watchmen or something. But not to get too far into that, but uh, it's- I thought it needed a sex scenes scored to hallelujah when i read it <laughs> i thought so um, <laughs> the canyons could have used a scene like that too by yeah, the way possibly yes. and i think like an a more like true adaptation could have been good for the watchman but it would have been sort of like the way the canyons work for me where it's like it is now clothy people in a room looking sad and now i don't know if i really like it and it would make a better book like i i wondered the whole time about like the canyons as Brett Easton Ellis, like another another novel, and I think it like would be better better suited as that because it is kind of a it's kind of a schlog, and some of it does feel a little like they're they're really working with what they got, but they can only get so much out of it. Some of like the production feels a little schlocky, like student filmy almost sometimes. Lindsay is kind of cool. Like she's like a lighter, like trying to flick and like she's trying to get get the fire going and it never quite gets going. I mean, she's uh, the only professional acting in the movie, so yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Wait, except Gus Van Sant. I want to make sure we recognize his cameo as a therapist. Oh my god! Yes. And the fucking so awesome. fact that you're in—you don't forget—you're in an office of a shrink. So there is a portrait of Sigmund Freud above. Uh, <laughs> Yes, the most important character who may or may not be struggling with his gay identity or something, which I thought was like really <laughs> kind of hilarious. And the most insane like key light on him, like he's like an yes. angel. <laughs> like Whoa, he's super, man. he's lit so bright and crazy. Like it's like how fucking uh, Richardson fucking uh, lights the Tarantino movies where you're like, where the fuck is this light coming from, dude? This <laughs> spot, Honestly, this, like, I felt like I would have crazy liked- spot. I would have liked more of that in this movie. I feel like, and I feel like I've heard Ellis talk about that, that he wishes there was more, more like, I don't know, like more of like that kind of energy in film of like bold strokes as far as cinematography and like color and things like that. I kind of wish there would have been more of that or something in this. Uh, But yeah, I'll, I'll just say like, basically I would probably, I would never be able to unwatch it because I would never be able to avoid it but I didn't necessarily like the viewing experience for sure. I was like, yeah, 
but I would never be able to avoid avoid it because of the shit I love, which is kind of like always gravitating around it. All right. Well, and yeah. So, uh, Chris, is there anything else that you want to say on this topic? I would like to bring it around a little bit back, I guess, to Lindsay Lohan because she, with everything else going on in this movie, it's kind of there's not even that much to talk about regarding her, really. But this did not bring back her career or start anybody else's. It was kind of a dead end for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just like to me, it's just like like a just you know like a cliche. Somebody be like just another Hollywood story, you know, where it's just like right. mm-hmm. not, like a flash in the pan and nothing happened out of it, you know. And uh, but <clears throat> yeah, definitely didn't revive her career. Unfortunately, I wished it kind of would have because. I would like to see more of her, you know, and not as like a stunt, not as an Oprah interview, not as a, you know what I mean? Like I'd like to see her work again, you know, because to me, I look at these two movies and I see, and even like we talked about anything from her child time or fucking mean girls or, you know, and there's a, there's a, not just a capable actress, but a very good actress. Yeah. Good to have on screen. Maybe even a great actress in the right. Yeah. You know, and she's got a presence and, you know, and there is a strange energy there. And I, I like her. So I, I wish this would have like jumpstarted her career, but I, she's going to be albatrossing that whole, what I did in my twenties bullshit for a really long time. And maybe she's working and we don't know it. Maybe I just didn't bother fucking Googling what Lindsay Lohan's doing in 2023, you know, but which is definitely the case. Oh my God. Did you see that like 2014 reality show with her and Oprah? Yeah. It was just called like Lindsay. I was like, I, I learned about that like rather recently and it like blew my mind watching some of those that I found online. They're just nuts. It's just like Oprah and a camera crew and like a whole TV show basically just made to like basically bully Lindsay for like chipping on her like alcoholism or whatever, like every once in a while. And it's just like, maybe it helped her. I don't know, but I don't know. That was a bizarre thing to witness. I don't know if it's bullying so much as like, just it's, it's kind of oddly enough shows that Oprah cares. She's like tough loving her. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. cause maybe Oprah sees something in this, this girl that she can help her or like, and the only way to help her is just, just treat her kind of badly to make her like realize like the error of her ways and try to give her a little bit of love here and there and stuff like that. So, and it just obviously didn't, didn't work. She has like a Netflix deal now. So I think late last year was one, they, some like, Christmas romantic comedy. Yes, thing I saw came that. Out. Well, I didn't see it, but I saw that it right. exists. Yes, and uh, apparently I knew she, had she a has a deal. <laughs> yeah, so she has, I think, at least one or two more in the pipeline. Maybe she'll find an audience with that. And you know, she might be getting to a stage in her uh, her career, her age, or something that it could be ripe for another. Uh, you know, it's been ten years since the Canyons came out, so all it ta- it might take is for you know a Quentin Tarantino or somebody like that to give her a chance in you know a role. And it's been so far removed, I think, from that whole time period that of what she was going through that people might even be excited to see, like, all right, let's see what a, an older you know Lindsay Lohan is bringing to the table. Maybe with that baggage informing it, you never know. I would be down. It would be awesome, though. I would love to yeah. see it. Yeah, definitely. All right. So, yeah, Lindsay, we have your back. Come on the show. We'll talk about <laughs> whatever show. movies you want to what, talk about. Yeah. yeah. What do you want to talk about? <laughs> yeah. And we'll have Chris back on, too, so we can we can all yep. have a love fest together. Yep. Absolutely. 
<laughs> All right. Well, Chris, your uh, your new book is out October 10th. Is that the correct 10th date? Yep. All right. The 10, holy 10, day. 23. And yep. uh, we are looking forward to it. Uh, thank you so thank much you. for spending this time with us in this great conversation. Yeah. Thanks for spending. You've been really generous. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. And I was excited to talk about something that was a little off the beaten path. Like, yeah, I could have came on here and did Cannibal Holocaust and really we would have killed that. But that's so on brand for me to be like, I'm going to talk about this Italian horror movie. You know what I mean? I liked that this was on your list because I wouldn't have thought of it. So when you sent me that list and these were on there, I was like, oh, fuck yeah, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Because also because of uh, I Know Who Killed Me had an impact on me and an influence on something that I'm spent five years fucking writing you know what i mean so i love that it's it was cool so i'm happy to be here thank you for having me on awesome is there anything else that you want to point people towards besides the book um no no just uh my website is stakemountain.com and that mountain is spelled mtn like the national abbreviation and not spelled out mountain like an asshole um you can also find me at all those that tag at instagram or twitter or threads now that that exists because that's a thing now um, I don't post very much and most of what I post is just buy my book cause I'm in heavy promo mode right now. Um, but that's pretty much it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've got some art coming out here and there. I'm helping John Nix with his Justin Pearson documentary. Cause we're going to do a Blu-ray of that. They're doing a Blu-ray of that. I did the cover for that. And, oh, nice. um, oh, yeah. yeah, so, and it's a really good, it's a really, actually it's like one of my favorite pieces I've done recently. It's very funny. So, um, and Justin, and Justin's an old friend. So it was just nice to uh, kind of be involved in that. And the Combat Wounded Veteran discographies will be slowly rolling out over the next year, but I don't have a date for any of it yet because we're doing something kind of secret and funny with a tape that we found for the LP. So that's going to be hilarious. Uh -huh. And um, yeah, it's actually really so silly. And uh, But other than that, yeah, nothing. Just everybody buy my book. I hope you're not disappointed. If you are, well, then go fuck yourself. Oh, we absolutely have to end on that. <laughs> yeah. And then, well, just, just no, no end music or anything. Yeah, go just fuck yourself. goes on to the Drop. next podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Done. Uh, all right. Actually, save that as a drop, too, so we can put that at the end of every episode. Yeah. Go fuck yourself. Have you fallen in a Unwatchables is produced by Tony Scarpitti, hosted by me, Mark Dottavio, and Seth Troyer, with artwork by Micah Krause. You can find Seth and I on Letterboxd under Mark Dottavio and Sloth Troyer. You can also check us out at unwatchablespod.com for links to our Twitter and Instagram, or support us on Patreon for bonus content and to have a say in what we watch. Thanks for listening. All that money after all, I'll trade them